Amen. Thank you, Brother Dan, for that prayer. I don't know if you heard the news this week, but uh, I hadn't really realized it was taking place, but evidently there was a, a fellow who was a website designer, and he refused to design one for, I think, same-sex, whatever, homosexual, whatever it was, and the Supreme Court backed him up. So thank God for that. But, you know, here's the thing, folks. <laughs> the only reason it backed him up because there were six conservatives and only three liberals. And uh, so the only way to really change people's hearts is through the gospel. And that's why we've got to continue to preach the gospel. The title of our lesson this morning is Above All Others. And I don't know what's going on, but all week long I've been wanting to sing a song about that. Isn't there a song that has those words in it? Above everything, above all others. And uh, certainly we're going to be talking about Christ. Our family theme is the supremacy of Christ. Our objective is to worship and serve Christ. Who is superior to what? Everything, right? Amen. Everything, whether it's angels, priests, even religious systems. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, the first four verses. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. And Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Two key truths this morning. Uh, first of all, uh, Christ is prophet, priest, and king above all others. Second of all, His suffering completed His work as Savior. We're encouraged to uh, review uh, today the, uh, what number is it there, Uh, 23 through 27. Uh, Anybody want to take a shot at, oh, you, okay, go ahead, Jason. Now, personally, I don't like the idea of 23 through 20, because I don't know where 23 is. They told me the last five thick books, I could do that. So we have 1st, 2nd John, 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. And I, and again, those are pretty easy, right? If you get 1st John, guess what you can get? 2nd John, and then 3rd John, of course, Jude, and then Revelation. What's after Revelation? There's nothing, right? I know that's, that's the end of, of God's work. So where did this lesson fit? Uh, most scholars believe it was written somewhere, uh, in the AD 60, maybe 64 to 68. Um, it's interesting, we mentioned this on Wednesday evening. Uh, we're not sure who the author is of the, of the book of Hebrews, but I do know who is really the author. That's God himself. It's God's word. Breathe that. We know that. Under I get started this morning, uh, think about the Bible for a minute. What are some of the hard truths or difficult things we find to obey in the word of God? What are some of the examples there? Some of the hard truths of God's Word. Well, what about our enemies? We're to do what with them? To love them. Boy, isn't that easy? We know it's not, right? We're to love our enemies. Uh, Does the Bible tell us that once we're Christians, we never have any more problems? Now, we will face persecution. In fact, Jesus said we've got to take up our cross how often? Every day and follow him. Does the Bible tell us that following Jesus is always easy? No, absolutely not. Now, salvation is free. But it's, it's going to be a difficult journey. And, of course, the main reason we're going to face opposition, not only from Satan, from those in this world, but it all really 
originate from Satan himself. Book of Hebrews, I remember the first time we taught it years ago in Sunday school, uh, in my opinion, is one of the most difficult books in the New Testament to, uh, to comprehend. I'm not sure I've done that yet. But there's so much truth and hope we gain through the book of Hebrews. Probably, again, written sometime about 30 years after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by this time, Christianity was spreading. Now, by the way, where did Jesus tell the disciples to go? To the world. All over the world. And, of course, it took some persecution, beginning in Acts chapter 8, to get that motivated. That's exactly what was going on. But again, as Christianity was spreading, so was persecution. And a lot, not, not necessarily everywhere, but a lot of areas were experiencing quite a bit of persecution. And this letter to the uh, church, the, the Hebrews, not the church, the Hebrews, were those who were in such areas where persecution was on the rise. Now, by the way, why would they call it the title of the book Hebrews? Absolutely, Jewish Christians. So primarily Jewish Christian, because that's the, uh, certainly who he's trying to address. Now remember, uh, they had turned to Christ, received Him as their Savior, and they were beginning to suffer, first of all, from the hands of their family and their friends, because they were uh, being accused of abandoning, if you will, the faith of their fathers and the traditions and all of those things. So times were getting difficult, and because of the persecution, a lot of them were considering going back into Judaism. And, of course, the writer of Hebrews says, don't do that. They wanted to go back to the uh, uh, old uh, covenant, if you will, system, the old law, the old priesthood. And uh, they were, again, their mindset was, we had it easy then. Now it's being persecuted because of Christ. Let's go back where we won't suffer that persecution. What's the problem with that? That's not what God wants. In fact, in spite of some of our brothers and sisters in Christ who believe otherwise, uh, chapter 6 addresses that. And the writer said, if you go back, if you, once you're saved, if you turn your back, there's no more sacrifice for you. But here's the main problem, okay? Not all the Jews, even in Jesus' day, even some of the Pharisees, they thought they were pleasing God. And they were hoping if they could be good enough, if they could do well at keeping the law, they would finally please God. And they'd be all right. What's the problem with that? Can't do it. Just can't do it. And so the writer of Hebrews wants to show these Jewish Christians, please understand, Christ paid it all. You don't have to pedal that bicycle anymore. You don't have to push that car to, to get it to go. Christ paid it all. And going back is not going to bring you what you want. You're not going to find that satisfaction 
of being where you need to be with God. Now remember, uh, even the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, all of that pointed toward Christ. All the sacrifices, all the rituals, everything pointed toward Christ. And you're going to find as you read the book of Hebrews time and time and time and time again, the writer of Hebrews tells them, he reminds them that Jesus is better than anything you could go back to. doesn't matter. The priest, the prophet, the king, the rituals, Christ is better than all of those individually and all of them put together. And so that is the theme of the book of Hebrews. The bottom line is, stand firm in your faith with Christ because, my friend, that is where you need to stand because Jesus is supreme. He is better than anything you ever had before. So throughout the book of Hebrews, almost every section the writer of Hebrews sets out to demonstrate the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. What a Savior, folks. What a Savior. So our first key truth is this. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king above all others. Let's read the first four verses. Hebrews chapter 1, please. Thank you, Brother Dan. As I was going through this lesson this week, and I, I normally uh, begin on Monday with Wednesday night Bible study, then Tuesday with uh, Sunday school, and then throughout the week, yeah, the uh, my other messages. But I couldn't help but look at the first four verses there, and I underlined some things in my notes. Uh, the writer says he, Christ, is appointed heir of all things. Uh, there in verse two. He said that Christ made the worlds, in verse 2. That Christ is the brightness of God's glory, in verse 3. That Christ is the express image of the, of the person of God, in verse uh, 3. And that Christ upholds all things, in verse 3. And he purged our sins, in verse 3. Now, my question is, which of the prophets can fit that bill? None of them. Now, we're not taking away from them they were men of God. Think about Moses. I mean, the greatest prophet probably who ever lived. Considered the greatest prophet anyway from the Jews. The man that he was. But could he match this? No. In fact, Jesus, later on, speaking of John the Baptist, said there's no greater man among men of John the Baptist. But what, could he fit these shoes? No. Absolutely not. Now, again, we know that, uh, Dan, you read it a moment ago, that God did speak in a different, t- different ways at different times. 
uh, in times past to the prophets. Uh, what does he mean in times past? Okay, the Old Testament. But, but what does that imply? If something is past. It's over with. Now, it doesn't mean we still don't read those prophecies. No doubt about that. And the way God spoke then is going to be different than he speaks now. Okay? Now, we know that with a prophet, he spoke in different ways. Sometimes with a vision. Sometimes through a dream. With Moses, it was audible, you know, face to face. So different ways he spoke uh, through the prophets and at different times. And so during the Old Testament times, Israel was certainly uh, led by prophets. We had priests, they had judges, and they had kings. Now, not 100% of the time, but if you were a prophet, you weren't a priest. Now, not always, but most of the time they didn't overlap. They were separate offices. There's a few who were both prophets and priests, and uh, um, but not, but rarely did things like that happen. So now think about this. Uh, we talk about prophets, priests, kings, and judges. Uh, we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we have to realize Savior means deliverer. Okay, and so even that aspect of Christ is similar to what the judges were during the time of the judges. And what was their main obligation? To do what? Say it again. Well, apparently judge, but again, in that time, judges were military leaders, and they were to deliver the people from oppression or whatever it might have been. So they were to be their savior, if you will. And you know what happened. And Dan, they were to fairly judge. But the bottom line was, uh, kind of like a vicious circle. Uh, Israel would fall into sin. They cried to God. He sent a, a judge to deliver them. They'd get back on their feet a while and, and repeat it over and over again. So the fact that Jesus is our Savior is also a type of being uh, a judge. But here's what's interesting. He's not only our Savior. He carries the title of a priest, a prophet, and a king. Now, what was a prophet in the Old Testament? What did what was their what was their duty mainly? Okay, prophet of God's God's word. Uh, what did that involve? Anybody know? Say it again. Oh, I like I like that word. Sometimes I'll make sure you know that. And sure, it was foretelling the future, and they did it sometimes, but also foretelling God's word, just proclaiming the word of God. And so that was part of that uh, duty of a prophet. Now remember, uh, they were sent by God if they were true prophets. Now also understand, think about this, uh, and, and again, uh, sometimes they would, you know, predict things, foretell events. Uh, they would, uh, some would perform miracles. Um, uh, some would do healings. But Jesus did all of them, did he not? Now think about that. And you might say, well, how did, how did, what did Jesus prophesy? But what did he predict that came true? Say what now? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What about the destruction of Jerusalem? He predicted that. But you know the greatest one of all for us? When he left, guess what he said? I'm coming back. I am coming back. Let me remind you of something, okay? 
And this is true of the, of the genuine prophets. God sent prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, if, if God's prophet prophesied something, foretold something, what can you count on? It's going to happen because they got it from God. Jesus, even better than the prophets, he, you can count, he promised. He is coming again. But what's interesting is this. The prophets in the Old Testament, they spoke the word of God. Over and over again, you'll read, thus saith the Lord, or whatever it might be, in whatever form. So they realized it wasn't them speaking, it was God speaking through them. But what's interesting, Christ is better than that, because not only did he, not only did he speak God's word, but guess what? He is the word. He is the word. In fact, way back in Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verse 15, Moses prophesied there was coming a day when God would raise up a prophet just like Moses. Kind of interesting when we get to John's gospel in chapter 1. John the baptizer is out baptizing, and the, the, the religious people want to know what's going on. And they go out there, and the first question they ask him is, are you that prophet? You see, they knew it. They knew what Moses prophesied. And of course, John said not. Jesus is that prophet. Daniel read a moment ago there in the first two verses. Uh, again, who did God speak to through in the past? Through who? Yeah, through the prophets. And there was nothing wrong with that. But now he speaks through his son. And folks, we need to realize Jesus is God's final declaration. He is God's final declaration. And this fulfilled the entire New Testament. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I didn't come to destroy. I came to do what? To fulfill it. Jesus fulfilled the entire New Testament. And that is exactly why the message of Jesus Christ, the ministry of Christ, is far superior to that of the Old Testament prophets. <coughs> also understand, uh, whether it be Isaiah, Jeremiah, any of the prophets, did they know everything? No. And my opinion is, a lot of what they prophesied about, they didn't understand. But what does Jesus know? He knows everything. What does he understand? Everything. So he's superior to the prophets. Also, it's interesting, in in the book of Psalms, uh, one of the psalmists wrote about Jesus uh, saying, I'm sorry, God saying, here is my son. And if you search the scriptures, God never said anything like that to any of the prophets. So my question to this morning is, who's superior, the prophets or Jesus? Jesus is. Now, let me make sure we understand this. So does that mean the prophets have no value? Not at all. Did Jesus ever contradict what prophets said? No, because they had the word of God just not the complete Word of God. And they were not the Word like Jesus was the Word. 
Another office of the Old Testament economy was that of a priest. What was a priest? What was their obligation? Say what now? Okay. Certainly to lead the people by example. Ah, yeah. So they were to lead, but also to stand between the people and God. We might use the word mediate, right? And their place was to take the people's sins and represent the people before God. So they did that by offering the sacrifices. And whose idea was it to offer sacrifices? Thank you, Dan. It was God's idea. This was God's prescription. This is how you get right with God. Now, we know that within that priesthood, there was a high priest. And uh, what did he do once a year? Yeah, yes, he did. And he would go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement, and only he could offer a sacrifice on that day. And that sacrifice, and hear me, it would cleanse the people for one year. So what does that mean? Next year, we've got to do it again. Now, make sure we understand. Why did that sacrifice work? Because God said to do it that way, okay? There's nothing wrong with it, but it was only a temporary forgiveness. Go back next year and do it again. But I also remember throughout the year, individuals would offer sacrifice with individual sins. So it was an ongoing process. Uh, those that I read after, and I, you know, as far as uh, studying on that topic, uh, there was never a day where you didn't hear sacrificing going on in the temple area. It was an ongoing process. Now, I pointed out a few minutes ago there in verse 3 uh, how it describes Jesus Christ. Uh, it says he's the brightness of the glory of God. He's the radiance of God. And uh, at the end of that verse says... He sat down on the right hand of majesty in heaven. What does that mean? Why did he sit down? Say it again, Cheryl. What was complete? Amen. It's it's done. Now remember, the high priest had to do it every year. Okay, we're done for this year, but got to come back next year. But when Jesus offered himself, is he going to do it next year again? No, he sat down because it is complete. Nothing else is needed. And it means that Jesus Christ, once he purges of our sins on Calvary, he sits down. That is a better priesthood. A better Priesthood. Sherry, got a comment? Yeah, amen. And we ought to be thankful for that. Thank you, Lord. He sat down on the right hand of majesty. Now remember, <clears throat> under the law, you kept working. You kept doing. You kept sacrificing. Because you had to continually renew that with God, get right with God over and over again. Now we still do that through our prayer. I know that. But this time we had to go through. And now, and now... There was nothing else to add to it. 
Jesus paid it what? He paid it all. He paid it all. And that's great, folks, because for our salvation, all we had to do to be saved was to trust what Jesus Christ did on Calvary in our place for our sins. In fact, one of the last things he said was what? It is finished. It is finished. He's talking about the plan of salvation. He's talking about the sacrifices. The way to God is finished. It is finished. So the writer of Hebrews says, look, it's over with. Those who are being tempted to go back into Judaism, you don't need to. You don't need to do that because Jesus has finished all that work. That part is over with. Now remember, well, first of all, uh, think about this for a moment. Who was the first, and I call him a high priest, for the nation of Israel, for the people, for the Jews? Who would that have been? Remember? Go way back. And you know his name. Yeah, Aaron. How long did he last? We don't know, right? But there came a time, what happened? He died. And every high priest after him, there came a time when they died. But not only is Jesus our high priest, now hear me, he is our forever high priest. Forever and ever and ever, he is our high priest. And that being said, Christ is the only mediator we need. Paul wrote to Timothy, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's all we need. So we have a prophet, we have the priest, but we also had kings in the Old Testament. And uh, do you remember who the first king of Israel was? Other than God, I mean. Saul, okay. And do you remember why, uh, why they, uh, they got a king? What the reason was of the Jews? Remember the reason? Ah, there you go. Does that sound familiar today? Now I want to tell you something, folks. This is free. That's exactly why a lot of churches are caving into this garbage about homosexual being okay. L-B-G-Q-L-R-S-T, whatever that is, okay. It's because they're trying to be like the rest of the world. But you're right, Wayne. Now remember, but also understand, what does God know? He knows everything. When does he know it? All the time, from the beginning. And way back in Genesis chapter 49, during the time of Joseph, God said there'll be a king. But he also said, the scepter will come from the tribe of Judah. And guess how it happened? Just like God said it would. Now, by the way, Wayne, I like what you said because this is exactly right. It was not God's will for them to have a king. Who was supposed to be their king? He was. But how did God know way back in Genesis 49 they'd have a king? Huh? 
What do you say, Dan? He knows what? Everything. When? All the time. He knew that. But anyway, Cheryl? No. No. It could not be. But uh uh-oh. Now we do have one. Yeah. Now remember, it's not part, I don't think it's part of our study because next week we'll be in, I think chapter nine, I got in my notes here later on. But when we get to chapter, uh, six, or chapter five actually, um, the writer of Hebrews introduces a man by the name of Melchizedek. And he was priest and king, if you will. Of course, this was, this was not part of the Levitical system either. And uh, so Christ, uh, Melchizedek was a type of Christ because Christ is priest and king. But you're right, Cheryl. You could not be priest and king. In fact, uh, let's see, chapter 6, I'm trying to think of Isaiah. In the days of Isaiah, it's how it began. You remember that for sure? Uh, well, Isaiah, Isaiah, also called Azariah, a different spelling of it, uh, reigned for about 52 years. And uh, when Isaiah mentioned the year that Isaiah uh, died, this is what a king Isaiah knew. But the problem was, he spent the latter part of his reign banned from the people, separated because he had leprosy. Does anybody know why he got leprosy? He went in and tried to do a work of a priest. And God struck him with leprosy. Because what you said, Cheryl, was true. You could not be priest and king. So a very, very important part of that. Also, uh, God knowing things ahead of time, in Deuteronomy 17, he gives some very strict regulations uh, for kings. And going back to what you said, uh, brother, that uh, the world, I mean, the church, the Jews, want to be like the world. And God knew how worldly kings act. And back in chapter 17, God says, don't do that. Don't gather a lot of women don't gather a lot of horses, and there's other things they want to do, but simply don't behave like that. Now, when you get to the kings, what they do? Just like the others did. And folks, whenever you invite the ways of the world, before long you act like them. And you can't tell the difference. Was God happy with that? No. But anyway, that's another, another lesson another time. Uh, it's also interesting... Uh, of course, David, the most probably the well most well known king, him and Solomon, and David was considered a man after God's own heart. And uh, we we the kingdom of David, but also uh, the phrase the son of David uh, gave a lot of prophecies about a future kingdom. Now, which kingdom on this earth, even now, is perfect? None, never have been, never will be. But all of these prophecies point toward a future kingdom. And they pointed to the true king, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord, the son of David. Now remember, we read a moment ago, Dan, you read that, Christ is seated at the right hand of majesty, okay? Uh, the right hand of majesty, the majesty of God. And he has been given all authority, supreme authority, and he holds authority, uh, all authority, and he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. 
Then in verse 4, <clears throat> he talks about the name of Jesus. And he compares it even to the angels. And who's superior? Jesus is. And so he says in verse 4 that the name of Christ is superior to above all names. doesn't matter who it is. Paul told the church of Philippi the same thing, uh, that every knee is going to bow. And so understand, if every knee is going to bow, who's that leave out? Nobody. But that shows us that Jesus Christ is the rightful ruler. He has that authority and that right. So I would declare to us this morning from God's word that God has given us a better prophet, a better priest, and a better king. But I'd be wrong. The fact of the matter is God has given us a perfect prophet. Amen. He's given us a perfect priest. And he's also given us a perfect king. Now, folks, don't miss this because we're, we're looking at some folks who were genuinely wanting to please God. The persecution was so bad that they thought, we, maybe just go back. Can you imagine how important this truth was to them? Can you imagine? They needed to hear this. And whoever wrote this letter, they wanted these Hebrew Christians and us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ was the complete fulfillment of all the law, all the tradition, all of the old religion. The eternal, powerful word of God. Our only response to be to follow him and serve him. You remember when in John 6, when Christ began to preach? He just fed the 5,000 men. They were, they were all packed in. I told you they were free will Baptists. They came for the food. <laughs> and when he began to preach and tell them, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you cannot be mine. What happened? Yeah, they got up and left. And Jesus turns to the disciples. Can you imagine the emotion of this? Will you also leave me? What did Peter say? Say it again. Where else can we go? There's nowhere else to go. I'm glad that Jesus died for your sin. Amen. How much time have I got left, Jason? There's a lot of people gathering out there. Let's go to uh, chapter 2. So our first key truth is that Christ is prophet, priest, and king above all others. The second truth is his suffering, Jesus' suffering, completed his work as Savior. Anybody want to read? Anybody want to volunteer?
Chapter 4, look at verses 14 through 16. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Brother Dan. I want to point a couple of things out. Well, we've got a few minutes left here. Uh, notice, if you will, uh, back in uh, verse 10 of chapter 2, it said, It became him for whom all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Who is the captain of our salvation? Jesus is. And and yet we're reading here to make him perfect. And all of a sudden we think, wow, we thought he is perfect. What well, he is morally. This is not talking more. Not talking. He is morally perfect. He is sinless. How do we know that? Thank you. The Bible says so. That's all we need to know. The Bible says so. He's morally perfect. How long has he been morally perfect? Forever. How long will he be morally perfect? Forever. Okay. So what does it mean to make the captain of our salvation perfect through suffering? What it means is, the idea is to qualify him. To qualify him to be our high priest, to be our savior. Cheryl, I think you mentioned a moment ago about the high priest of the Old Testament. They, they represented the people before God. And the high priests were human. And they knew the experiences people had. They knew the hurt and heartaches. Christ had never been human until he became flesh. And that's why the writer of Hebrews is very careful. He didn't take on the nature of angels. He took on the, the seed of Abraham, which means flesh. And the only way he could qualify, if he suffered like we suffer, if he hurt like we hurt, if he felt pain like we hurt. And so that's why becoming flesh made him qualified. Because now 
He can come to our aid. That word Sakur, we read there, we talked about it Wednesday night as well. It really means to rush to your aid. He can come to our aid. If you are having a tough time, does Jesus understand that? Yes. He understands how we feel, and the only way he could do that was become flesh. That's what qualified him, if you will. That's what made the perfection complete. He was always morally perfect. There are about five or six things. Benefits for us from the cross. First of all, in verse 11 through 13, the Bible says, through his sufferings, we were made a family. Think about that. Brothers and sisters to Jesus Christ, children of God. How many are glad you're part of that family? And through his sufferings, he made us a family. The second thing that he did on is verse 14, through his suffering, he destroyed Satan's power over death. Think about that. And by the way, guess who now holds the keys to death? Jesus does. He destroyed Satan's power over death. The third thing that he did in verse 15 through his sufferings, he delivered us who were slaves to the fear of death. Now, by the way, doesn't mean we're ready, you know, we want to die right away. That's not the issue here. But if we're a child of God, say it again. We don't fear it that way. We see it in a total dip. He delivered us from the fear of death. The fourth thing in verse 17, through the suffering of Christ, Jesus, because he became flesh, became a merciful and a faithful high priest. Now understand this, folks. There were some good priests in the, in the Old Testament. There were some lousy ones too. But also understand None of them are perfect. They couldn't be. They were flesh. And so the Old Testament priesthood was actually a picture of what Jesus would ultimately accomplish one day. He'd be that merciful and faithful high priest. The fifth thing in verse 17, the Bible says that Jesus suffered to make propitiation or atonement for the sins of the people. And that simply means Jesus died to turn away the wrath of God from us. Where did, you, where did God pour his wrath out at? On Calvary. He poured it out on Jesus. The sixth thing that Jesus did by suffering, now he can help us when we are tempted. Remember, he knows every trouble, every temptation we face in life. And because he suffered with us on the Calvary and in his life, he knows. He knows exactly how we feel. And so, again, writing to Hebrew Christians who are saying, maybe we ought to go back. Go back to legalism. Go back under the law. And so he reminds them, here's what Christ accomplished for you. Something the law could never do. Something the priest could never do. Jesus 
accomplished that for us. And he did it so we could have all these privileges. And it completed his saving work. He is the perfect Savior. What a God. What a God. How much time I got left, Jason? Let's apply it. Worship and serve Jesus because he suffered to provide salvation for us. What a Savior. Okay. Perfect prophet, perfect priest, perfect king, perfect Savior. Knowing that he is the perfect Savior, what should our response be? Say it again, Wayne. Follow him, love him, serve him, obey him. And by the way, Wayne, follow him involves all of that. Let's stand together. Next week, we're going to find out that he is, without a doubt, a better sacrifice. Hebrews 9, verse 6 and 7, also 11 through 22, and part of chapter 10 of Hebrews. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the perfect priest, perfect king, perfect prophet, but most of all, for the perfect Savior. We bow our hearts in worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless